Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Welcome to Silver Linings, part of the Next Real family of film podcasts on True Story FM. Have you ever liked or even loved a movie that everyone else just seems to hate? Well, you are not alone, my friend. We look at movies that are often panned by critics and audiences to see if their hate is warranted. Sure, we'll talk about what might be broken, 
But more important, we talk about what really works in these films with the hope that we change some minds along the way. Perhaps even yours? So, sit back, relax, and let's take the guilt out of guilty pleasures. This is Silver Linings. Hello, I'm Ray, your eternal optimist. And I'm Ocean. For this episode of Silver Linings, we'll be taking a look at 2019's Brightburn. Who am I? You are a gift. I know it's been difficult for you lately that you feel different from other kids. You are different. After your dad and I got married, we prayed for a baby for so long. So, I don't know about you, Ocean, but I got the chance to see this in theaters. I saw the trailer, and I was really excited to see that it was produced by James Gunn. And just my experience with Guardians of the Galaxy and how, if you remember when Guardians of the Galaxy was announced, I don't know how you felt about it, but I was all like, wow, someone's going to make Guardians of the Galaxy? That's probably going to suck. And James Gunn took it. And he really made it into something special. And that made me really excited for this. Uh, That and the really cool concept behind this film. So I got to see it in theaters in its initial run. And I really had a fun time with it. Uh, How about you? Um, I heard about the movie at the time that it came out. Um, It was on the list of movies that I thought were interesting enough to see. Um, however, for one reason or another, when it was in theaters, I never did see it. And actually I saw it for the first time, um, very recently uh, in preparation of this, for this podcast. Hey, better late than never, right? That's right. <laughs> so in, t- in talking about the Brightburn, basically the synopsis off of IMDB. So to give the, the elevator pitch version of it is that, Cheater. uh, you know, after a difficult, right. After a difficult struggle with fertility, Tori Breyer's dreams of motherhood come true. With the arrival of a mysterious baby boy, Brandon appears to be everything Tori and her husband Kyle ever wanted. Bright, talented, and curious about the world. But as Brandon nears puberty, powerful darkness manifests within him. And Tori becomes consumed by terrible doubts about her son. Once Brandon begins to act on his twisted urges, those closest to him find themselves in grave danger. 
So that is the long-winded IMDb synopsis <laughs> of the movie. I think that the elevator pitch version of it is much easier uh, and more concise, which is what if Superman at 12 years old started to get his powers and realized that instead of protecting the Earth, he was here to subdue it? There you go. So Yes. So that's what, a lot of what it's about. Now, if you look at let's talk about the uh, critical consensus of this movie. Nope. Mm-mm. No. No. Nope. So uh, looking at the Rotten Tomatoes recap, which I think is a, always a great uh, synopsis uh, of uh, the various criticisms of the movie, what various, sorry, what various critics think of the movie, um, their recap is that although Brightburn doesn't fully deliver on the pitch black promise of its setup, it's still enough to deliver a diverting subversion of the superhero genre. And then once you dive a little bit deeper, you'll see a mixture of reviews. So in the bad review category, so it's like uh, Richard Roper from the Chicago Sun-Times said the premise is intriguing, but this gruesome origin story plays just like another slasher film with idiots for victims. Uh, there's another one from The Independent. Which is, despite its simplicity, Brightburn's premise is filled with potential, but it struggles to find anything meaningful to say. The last uh, one, then on a positive note, uh, so there's some that are positive. So like A.O. Scott from the New York Times said, you know, what makes Brightburn a little better than average is the time it spends observing Brandon with Tori and Kyle. His loving, increasingly alarmed mom and dad who are played with excellent game faces by Elizabeth Banks and David Denman. So that's a, that's a positive. So then the, the other positives are your your lukewarm positive. So the here's one that I thought was an interesting version of positive. That the conceit works brilliantly until in the closing 20 minutes, it clatters disappointingly into a fatal uncertainty. Um, and then, you know, going back to the negatives, uh, you know, a lot of the negative themes were the same about uh, that they had a lot of... Uh, a lot of potential, but didn't say as much. Or right. uh, this one said, like, you know, the one other review was cheap jump scares and uninspired writing combined with a limp story. Ensure Brightburn will remain a big what if. You're a big so. what if critic. <laughs> there you go. And you told him. <laughs> so now I am sure that critic will now be retiring and hanging up their, their iPad. Are there any other uh, criticisms you think you'd like to address specifically? Well, First of all, I think it's interesting to note that this film didn't seem to get, like, awful, awful reviews. It seems to border on the lukewarm to slightly disliked, if you know what I mean. Yes, I agree with that. This was not universally hated as a movie. And, you know, looking at places like the Letterboxd community, Amazon, etc., you know, you'd see pretty much the same kind of things that you were talking about, you know bland or boring story uh failed to do anything neat with the awesome premise and too reliant on jump scares but in all honesty you know i think every horror type movie is going to have jump scares you know come on yes yeah yeah every every horror movie is going to have jump scares and i think that the uh, criticism with this is more um a little bit of a sign of the times in terms of the amount right so uh brightburn does have quite a few jump scares right and so and, and when you Think about it being made in 2019, right? You're, mm-hmm. you know, you're after, you know, Get Out, Us, uh, the Happy Death Day movies, you know, like these, the, and these other, you know, other horror movies at the time, or you know, in, you know, within that in that short time, you know, one or two year window, mm-hmm. is and when you watch those movies, they are still scary and scary and creepy. Yeah, and you know, and now that I think about it, even it, 
the the first not the second one the second one the first one the first um, new one the first the, the yes the first new okay. one okay yeah so, so of the of the two new it's the first new one even if you think about those they di- they were not reliant on jump scares right they they had one or two mm-hmm. but most of their scariness factor was much more of that that creepy you kind of know what's coming and it's kind of you're building it up in your head before anything really happens right but sure. what, before and even before whatever what happens on the screen isn't a jump scare. It doesn't. Is it, it may not even necessarily be a scary thing, but you've built it up enough because of the slow draw mm-hmm. that is pulled out. Where this movie does that, but also has a larger number of jump scares, right? And I'll I think that that, that might be a reaction to that. Now, the, the horror movies are coming out now. While they have jump scares, they're they're fewer. Okay, right? you know, and so I th- and I think maybe that was that that would be why some people would think that it was too many jump scares. Okay. Whereas if you compared it to a horror movie slasher flick from the 80s, well, it has no jump scares, right? <laughs> you know, because Jason was coming around every corner. You know? <laughs> so you're, getting, you're constantly getting jump scared. So, yeah, so I think it's more a comment. I think that criticism has much more to do with the change in horror movies or scary movies of our time uh, versus, um, you know, a real problem with the movie itself. I feel like the horror genre itself is trying to make some changes so that it's straying away from the old cliches. I feel like it's kind of an undefined mass at the moment, if that makes any sense. Um, It does. It does. And I I credit that more to, in a lot of ways, like to Saw. Now, whether or not Saw deserves this credit or not, I credit it because I'm thinking about my personal world in that I was not, when I was, you know, in the 80s and 90s, I was not really big into horror movies, right? And, and a lot of the reason why I wasn't big into horror movies is because they had a massive amount of jump scares. And then the first time you see Saw, there's two jump scares in the whole movie. And then other than that, you are freaked out throughout the whole movie without jump scares, right? right? Just the entire situation, what they're setting up. The, the intelligence of the premise and what they did with the delivery at the end of that movie, you know, created a nice, good, scary movie that didn't have jump scares. And I think that the, the, the industry, the, the industry, the genre of horror movies is, is starting to try to move more and more towards, you know, let's creep people out and scare people, you mm, know, but yeah. not with jump scares, not with she's, you know, she's in her room and she hears a weird sound. Oh, it's the cat, you know, and the cat jumps out, right? Or something like that, which has been done to death. You know, oh, yeah. so to say, at the, to this oh. point, so I think that they're trying to exactly, yeah, um, yeah. That was an unintentional pun. Uh, <laughs> actually, it would have been better if I intended to do that. But uh, so it's been done. To, uh, it's been done so much now that you know you want to find something different. And I think that a lot of the smarter movies that are coming out now are showing different ways to still be scary without reliant reliance on jump scares. Sure, and. To be fair, this movie in particular is doing something that hasn't been done before, where it's meshing a horror movie with, of all things, a superhero origin story. In a way, it's really treading ground that hasn't been broken yet. It is, and I think that is, um, so since we're talking about the criticisms, I think that's the crux. Right. So when you think, when you look at the different uh, criticisms of this movie and they talk about how, uh, that it's a great premise, but it doesn't say anything, right. That it's a, you know, it's a wonderful, uh, you know, wonderful idea that doesn't really pay off or the last critic who said it would a big, what if, right. So I personally think that the 
the issue there, and I, that is a, that is a criticism I understand. And so personally, I think the biggest issue with this was they marketed this movie in a way to get people to watch it, but not enjoy it. All right. Cause the premise is he's a superhero. That is a bit of a jerk. And so here's the problem. with that. <laughs> so to me, the, pro- the problem with that is this, uh, you, you start straying two lines. So there's people that like superhero genre movies and people that like horror movies. Now there is going to be a, a Venn diagram where those intersect, but a lot of times this is, you know, there's going to be a large number of people that don't. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you come at it with the, the way it was marketed, you, you know, it wasn't really marketed that it would be as scary as it was. Right. Even with the, with, with the, with the trailers, there's a few bit of jump things here and there, but you know, it's still kind of, it's iffy if it's going to be as much of a horror movie as it really turns out to be. The other part is you're, you're basically taking these, I don't know, the single most iconic superhero origin story, right? And, you know, sure. and then, and, then yeah. and, and doing it to way on the nose. I mean, he's just in a different city in Kansas. Oh, it's very on the nose. Up, you, you know, you know, it's, it's really, you know, he has similar powers and abilities as the alien, the crash landed, the parents found him, et cetera, right? So the, the, the thing to me, the problem with it becomes that it's trying to thread the needle of a superhero flick that is like a horror movie. And, and, and because they chose Superman and that origin, A, the origin story is too well known, but B, Superman is basically an omnipotent God, right? He is so overpowered, right? The criticisms then start boiling down to, which, which I get as well, is that, okay, so he's, he's Superman. We understand Superman. We know enough about Superman to know what he can do. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes, all right, well, what are we now trying to say, right? So, you know, is it a straight slasher movie with an interesting premise or is this going to be a great premise that we're going to do something with? Because once you do that, he's Superman, right? You know, you don't understand, you know, various things about him. Like what are his motivations? Is he, you know, once he turns bad, is it that he chooses to, is it that he is bred to do that? Right. And, you know, with, mm-hmm. the, with the wasp metaphors, like, is he bred to do that? Is it that he's being controlled? Right. The, the movie doesn't really address any of those things, right? Mm-hmm. And so, when you look at it as a superhero movie with a you know with a horror uh, horror twist to it, right? Then the problem becomes: then once you once you once you've given up the conceit, okay, Superman is now going to try to kill us, not save us, right? At that point, his ability to kill everybody very quickly and efficiently and all that stuff and everything is a, is a total given to you, right? You now would like this movie to be like, okay, I understand that he's doing all this killing, but why? What is he growing from? Is is it is it he's choosing? Does he need to overcome something he's being controlling? Does he really want to be good like he says, or is that just a lie because he's really the villain, right? Like, you know, what is his motivation? What is it about him that's making him tick, right? You you, you don't get that payoff in the movie. Then because once he starts killing, the movie completely shifts gears and is a slasher fic, mm. right? And and I think that if you go into it thinking I'm going to watch a slasher flick. It's a great movie. But if you go into it expecting something out of the superhero premise, that is where I think the disappointment comes in, right? What if you thought about it as maybe not so much as a superhero, but a supervillain origin story? Yeah, you can think of it that way. It's harder because uh, I think it's harder for two reasons. One, it starts too young. Right. In the very beginning of the movie, he is basically an innocent kid. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're not, you don't hate him from jump. Like it's not like teenage Lex Luthor, in which case you're like, oh, that kid level, but he's going to him from the beginning. <laughs> right. You know, so he's not that. And then two, the, the other way I think you just can't get around it is it's Superman. Right. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, 
it, they did Superman. And, and so, you know, it's too, you can't, you can't do Superman and then say, well, forget that it's Superman. Right. Sure. You, you sure. Know, fair I mean, even his powers and abilities, the, I don't think he had a single power or ability that Superman doesn't have. His powers and abilities were literally Superman's powers. Yeah. Now that you mention it, it was pretty much yeah. a direct copy. Right. He, he could do yeah, right. His powers with Superman. He's flying around in a red cape. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, he's flying around in the same colors. Right. If you right. look at his whole outfit, they're the same red, yellow, and blue colors, different configuration, clearly. Oh, yeah. He's wearing a mask, and Superman doesn't wear a mask, but That's he's really also the only still, you know, yeah. you know, and also he looks like some of the drawings of young Superman, where he's, you know, a, a, a brown haired kid, you know, slight build when he's young that, that can do all these, you know, different things as far as running fast and flying and jumping and all that. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, I, I don't know that you can get a super villain because they chose Superman. Okay. Hey, who's messing with me? Well, I'm going to take this opportunity to take everything that you just said. Okay. And tell you why I think this is actually a good movie because everything that you just said, you know, that may not work so well. I think I have a defense for at least it works out in my mind, which usually winds up being no good for anyone else, but you know, uh, I'm going to take a crack at it. First, first of all, the time that this movie came out, I think is key. It came out in 2019 and in 2019 we had Avengers infinity war had just come out the year before we had Avengers Endgame coming out that year we were and really still are uh, a superhero culture i mean we are eating it up i mean especially marvel and dc too but um <laughs> yeah that's right you gotta have your vegetables of dc if you're gonna get the dessert of marvel. <laughs> okay, i'm just gonna leave that one alone but uh <laughs> So I think this came out at the perfect time because everybody is just loving, loving, loving on superhero movies. And everybody wants to believe that, you know, all this new hero is going to be great. You know, there's someone we can look up to. And here's this concept where we get this superpowered being, but they wind up doing the opposite of what we think they're going to do. I mean... Anytime you see a superhero origin story, it's always kind of the same formula. The the hero is revealed to have powers of some sort, and now it's like, okay, now that we know they have powers, they're learning their powers, how are they going to use that for the good of the world? That is always what it comes down to. And here in this movie, it doesn't come to that. Because with Brandon Breyer, who is the kid in this movie, the the main character, I think it's really important to note that this is about the time that he hits puberty. I think that that says a lot because whenever, I mean, without tr- getting <laughs> trying to sound weird or anything, whenever a person hits puberty, you're going through all kinds of changes, not just physical, but also mentally, and you start to think a little bit differently. And so this, you have this kid and he, we see him in school. He's a bookworm. He's incredibly smart. Um, not necessarily popular. We see him getting picked on by kids in school. He obviously has a crush on this one girl, but seems a little too timid to 
do or say anything about it. All of a sudden, one night, he basically has these convulsions in bed because the alien spacecraft that he arrived to Earth in has woken up or whatever, and it has decided that now is the time for Brandon to basically accomplish his mission, the reason he was sent to Earth or whatever I, it's not really is, is it is it i don't know i'm making right, kind of that's that i'm just that's something that's not clear in the movie right so and i'm just ahead. kind of making an assumption here but my point is you know there is a big change he learns kind of who he is he learns that he is different and not different in the fact that you know he's this geeky kid who you know doesn't fit in but he is not of this world. He learns that he cannot be hurt. He learns that he can fly. He learns that he is very powerful, very strong. And whenever you have a very impressionable young person who is at that age and they have so much working against them, like bullies and uh, angry parents and potential love interests, Whenever they're presented with an opportunity to do something selfishly, to have some kind of power, of course, they're going to want to take it. Yes, I, I agree. Being the parent of teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, so. I, I want to get to uh, you know the parenting aspect of this movie at some point, because I think that that's interesting. But I, I found this movie to be realistic in the way that it portrayed the reactions and the impulses of a young man presented with these otherworldly abilities. Because let's face it, we see all these superhero movies and everybody becomes a hero and they're saving the world and everything. Not everybody is that good. Well, well true. I think one of the, I think you're touching on definitely one of the conceits of the Superman story is that oh, the Clark Kent's relationship with his father and the relationship that he built with, with humanity was a unique thing, right? And that this movie does portray probably what I would say if I were betting more of what I would think would happen if, if a 12 or 13 year old boy had those type of superpowers, right? And and so I think I, I agree with all of those things, right? But the the one thing that I think the other side of it is, is that there's an interesting story there, They've set up some ideas with a sequel, and there's interesting things to say with that premise, right? But mm -hmm. because the premise is Superman, right, you really can short-circuit to get to the, okay, now he's Superman and he does bad things. But if you focus on that, the problem becomes once he starts, once he starts killing people in this movie, he's basically Jason. Right. The 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 reasons <laughs> for him, the reasons and the motivations for him to doing it don't always make sense, right? Some of them do, some of them don't, right? And that to me is where I feel that I find that my enjoyment of this movie is I intentionally go to one side, right? How, you know, so everything I'm saying about like, well, once you realize Superman starts killing people, you want them to do more with that and that is a little bit disappointing. On the flip side, the way he's killing people is amazing, <laughs> right? It is, it, is, it is incredibly entertaining. The kills right? in all this movie are awesome. It, yeah, all the different ways to do it. Right, yeah. The, the, the gore of it all is way more than what you would expect. It makes you jump, you know, in your seat and makes you uncomfortable and everything like that. And it's great. Oh, yeah. Right? And, and that is, to me, where you really want to find 
um, where I think the sweet spot to find yourself in this movie, especially, you know, on a, if you're watching it for the first time or if you're rewatching it again to say, Hey, I'm going to watch a slasher flick and uh, yeah, he, 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 it's Superman. Right. And then just kind of gloss over the it's Superman part and then enjoy the slasher fit. Cause the, the kid's performance is great. Uh, the people, you know, the, the, his victims, a lot of their, you know, they, they're great slasher flick victims. <laughs> they make stupid decisions that, you know, are stupid decisions in real time. And you're like, why are you doing that? <laughs> uh, they then, you know, get killed in horribly gruesome ways. Well, some of the stuff he does is actually, you know, funny and entertaining. Uh, you know, when, and people, they get their various amounts of either comeuppance or just are straight killed. You, you see it coming, you get it. It's gruesome. It's very, very, very entertaining. You know, that part of the movie I think is, is done very well. And so I think that if you just go into it looking for a really great slasher flick, Brightburn really delivers. The other part of it is the part that it's like, well, you know, the whole, his mentality and his, you know, what he's thinking or what, what his motivations are, they're just not, you don't really have enough there to chew on. Were there any of the kills that were particularly memorable for you? The uncle. Right. Uh, and when he kills the uncle, the uncle's memorable to me for two reasons. One I actually had to be reminded, I forgot why the uncle was just driving off, right? But anyway, that, that he was going to go, you know, take him back home. And then he went to go drive, you know, and he was going to tr- drive him home. And, you know, he's like, no, don't tell my parents. And he goes, you, you know, you'll be lucky. That's all I do. And then they goes off, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when his car breaks down, the uncle's reaction at the beginning, when he like sees bright burn in the distance with it. And his, his very, like, he's like an audience member. He's very, nope, 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 not doing this. You know, like he was very much aware of the danger he was in and was trying to do some things to get out of it, mostly just driving his car, which when you're encountering a, a, a someone that has that level of speed, you're not just going to get out and run because you're not going to make it, right? And so, and then also on top of that, the way when he pulls, you know, pulling the truck into the air and dropping, mm. dropping it, you know, head first into the ground. But then also, you know, I was surprised by the gruesomeness of, you know, having his jaw break so oh, much yeah. on the steering column and how gruesome and gory it was and everything. So, yeah, so that one for me was the most memorable uh, of his kills. How about for you? Okay. So the biggest thing that I remembered after I saw this in the theater was actually the potential girlfriend's mother getting killed in the, in the restaurant, particularly the the eyeball man. Horror movies don't affect me all that much. But when I saw this in theaters and I saw that shard of glass, just that close up of the shard of glass sticking out of her eyeball yes. and she's yep. trying to get it out. And then yep. you realize after she starts pulling on it, that there's a much deeper shard of glass in her eye than it looks like <laughs> on the surface, yeah. man. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and then even from, and post that, right. The directors make a great choice in the screens, half blood and half normal, a little bit blurry. And you're seeing the a large part of the rest of that scene through her eyes, right? Where she can't really tell everything's going on. Things are kind of blurry, and half of the screen is red. I mean, you know, it's it's a it is a great moment in the movie. Uh, you know, not only is it the great moment in the, in that gruesomeness of the kill, but also the, the the choice they made to you know bring you, where you are now seeing things through her through the victim's perspective, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and which adds to, to the terror of that scene and of that moment. It really does. It really does. But uh, great kills though, all around. Yes, ab- absolutely. And I think that's the best part of the movie. Are there any other, uh, before we uh, just jump off into the topic, there any other criticisms that you'd like to uh, discuss? Well, let me ask you this. One of the 
criticisms was that people found this to be a little bland or boring. Uh, did you find it to be boring in any places? Um, I did not. I think that... I think that a lot of times with those type of criticisms, not much you can do, right? Sure, yeah. If someone watches a movie and they feel that it is boring and not entertaining, then, you know, you, that that kind of is what it is. Right. Right? You know, and I, I would disagree that, no, this movie is, um, is very entertaining. Um, it does, it has a bit of a slow start, but I think that the premise and things that got you in the theater with that slow start you're willing to give it because you kind of you, you have an idea of where things are going right um but be, but it's not it's not a boring movie it is very entertaining and it starts to you know it it gradually picks up steam as the movie progresses and then starts you know moving at a very fast speed for the last third right you know so yeah so i don't i don't know that you can do you know there's not much i can say to convince you that hey if you found this movie boring i can just say i can check my finger at you and say you were wrong it's not a boring movie <laughs> But, you know, but there's not a real direct criticism to address with that. Yeah, I mean, it's got a 90-minute runtime. I think it's exactly 90 minutes. And I think it fills out that time very nicely. I didn't find it to be boring at all. And I think that uh, regardless of what some others say, I think that it did really well with the premise that it had. Yes. No, I, I agree with that. I think it, I think it did well for what it was uh, definitely trying to be. I think it's well because I I I still believe that it was a slasher flick, and that they said, "Hey, why don't we make a slasher flick, but a little bit more of an interesting premise?" But the, yeah, so that but that's what I that's how that's how I viewed this movie. Fair enough. One thing that I kept thinking about throughout the movie was how similar it is to the Omen movies, particularly to the second one, uh, Damien. Have you seen any of the Omen movies? I have not seen any of the Omen movies. Isn't that the isn't, didn't Rosemary's Baby become the Omen? No. Or is that is that is that is that a different baby? Uh, different story different from... different baby, but very similar <laughs> story. Okay, got um, it, got it. So the Omen is about this young child, Damien, who turns out to be the Antichrist. R- right. No, I I know that I knew that much about it, but I haven't I haven't seen them. So the first movie is about him as like a six-year-old kid. The second movie, he's around 12. And the third movie shows him like at the age of 30, whenever, you know, like the Antichrist, you see him doing what he does in the book of Revelation. I think that this movie really has the potential for an omen-like story arc. Because, uh, I mean, this... I mean, to show him again when he's a little bit older? Yeah, I think that if they made one or two more movies in that same type of story arc, that would be really cool to me because yeah. I, I think it really set it up too. They, they set it up to do, well, they set up the, the evil justice league, right? Yeah. <laughs> Michael Rooker. Good old yes. Michael. Yeah, Rooker. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. They set up the evil Aquaman at the end and they set up an evil wonder woman. And then there was, there's actually a picture of like an evil flash. So yeah, yeah. they set up, they, they've set up, the idea that they would potentially do it where he would either find others that were like him. Right. And then, you know, potentially try to try to try to actually then, you know, become a true supervillain. I, you know, given that it came out in 2019, um, it was uh, monetarily a success. Right. Right. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So since, you know, it was, it was only, they made it for 6 million and the box office grossed 33 million so that's definitely a financial success enough to warrant you know making a sequel if they can you know keep it in those terms for sure but uh you know obviously with covid coming out that's going to halt filming for a year or so 
um, if they're if they're ever able to get back around to it. In which case, the, yeah, they they set up a good premise to try to then move it more in that direction where it'd be like you know, I guess for lack of a, you know the Legion of Doom, yeah, right. But instead of you know instead of Lex Luthor, the Legion of Doom would be the superhero. So yeah, so they've done good things with that, and I think that that is actually one of the uh, positives I take away from the film was that it it did set up that. The sequel was something that I was like, well, I think you have enough here that it could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Right? You could have the actors, you, you know, you maybe you wait a couple of years because the the actor himself is was a, is a teenager, so you wait a couple of years for him to you know get a little bit of height on him, so he can then be you know an older teenager, you know, for the next film. And but yeah, it, it has a it, there is there is a lot more you can do with it. I just don't know whether or not the filmmakers will get the opportunity to. Right. And to be honest, I mean, I can really only speak for James Gunn, who seems to have a lot on his plate at the moment because he's going to be working on the Suicide Squad, Guardians 3, uh, I forget what else, but um, the director... David Yaravesky. Yes. J- <laughs> that's that's a name right there. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. But he he's free. Yeah, at least he seems to be. I mean, this was his first film and the only one he's done since. Um, I mean, granted, it's only been a year, but and it's been pandemic time. But right, it it I would be very very intrigued by a sequel. I, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'm not so much intrigued by the Legion of Doom Evil Justice League angle, but I really enjoyed this film, and I'd be really interested to see what they do with a sequel. But I also think that. If they left it as is, that would be cool too. Yes. Well, with with the sequel, the I think that the the thing with the sequel is it becomes problematic in that you almost have to start going to the evil Justice League angle, right? Because for him to then go into some other place or locale and start killing people, you know, again, similar to this movie, would be very much would give you a very been there, done that feel. Well, I think that what they would need to do is if they kept him by himself up the stakes. I mean, obviously his goal is to take the world as he put it, you know, whenever he was receiving the mental transmission from the spaceship or whatever it was. And so it showed him in the movie, basically just trying to keep himself from getting in trouble with his parents from being found out. And then we see little glimpses at the beginning of the end credits of, you know, like this mysterious flying figure seen above in the skies of Kansas. So mm-hmm. I think the next logical step would be, okay, what is he going to do to start taking the world? Is he going to start going after you know, the world leaders, maybe? Is he going to try to enslave the human race? Is he going to annihilate the human race? And either way you go there, how is he going to do that? You know, is he going to try to enforce his power upon them or is he going to use it against them? Uh, it would just, there's so many different ways you could go and you could get really creative any of those ways. Yeah. While I agree with that, I think that your premise, you're leaving out that then there needs to be other superheroes, right? Because Does there, as far though? as stakes goes, yes, because otherwise what you're really, what you're talking about then is like Superman 2, right? Zod and uh, the, the two people, they completely, because Superman went off and didn't do anything. Zod came and took over the earth in like, what, a day, right? You know, and so because there was no one else like Superman in this universe, there's no other superheroes, he wasn't there. So it was really simple and easy to do, right? His powers, Superman's powers are so vast that in a world where he's the only superhero, he, he can conquer the world in a day, 
right? You know, and so it's you know, and and any there's not even a realistic, you know, man-made weapon against Superman, right? So you you need to have something with other superheroes or other dynamics or other very powerful beings that would need to exist in order to raise the stakes and create a conflict. So if it's just Brendan Breyer and everyone else, yes, Brandon Breyer, sorry. If it's just <laughs> Brandon Breyer and everybody else in this movie is a mere mortal, right? There's no, he has no real resistance. Well, don't forget that he also had a kryptonite. He does, but that at that level would require someone to A, figure out who he is, figure out where he came from, figure out that he's an alien, find the ship, assuming he didn't hide it. Because the the one thing I was giving the the makers of the movie credit for is when you look at the end, right? So at the end, he, uh, so at the end, spoilers, he uh, crashes, <laughs> he crashes that airplane, right? He kills, right, yes. He drops his, drops his mom in, in the, one of the, one of the more emotional death scenes in, in a sense, right? Mostly oh, sure. because of. Really, because of Elizabeth Banks' performance in it, she was great, great in, in what the way she emoted that moment. But he does does that, and then he drops a plane down, right? So at that point, he's at least have enough. If he's as smart as they're saying he is, he's got to know that the FBI are going to rip apart everything with a fine tooth comb. So he's got to move that ship, mm-hmm. right? Because they're going to find it if it's just sitting in the barn. They're going to find that in a day. So he had to have moved that somewhere else. I, you know, the movie doesn't go into you know, this is my complete uh, supposition. The movie doesn't address this in any way, but there's only way that makes logical sense to me. Otherwise, they would find it. Well, something that they could do that makes sense to me, you know, it, at the end of the movie, when you see the plane crash, they have the emergency teams there uh, responding to that crash. I think it would be very easy, you know, to have like an opening scene and a potential sequel where you have some firefighters or somebody, uh, putting out a fire where the barn is and they find remnants of the ship and they're like, well, what in the world is this? And obviously there are things that they're going to take away because they don't know what caused this crash. They're going to want to do investigations. So they might keep pieces of that ship if they find it. And yes, so I could totally see that as a MacGuffin of sorts. Could be, could be, but then, you know, there's yeah so I guess though the 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 crux of this is that I think we both agree that they've they've built a lot in here a good framework to go forward with the story with several different directions oh definitely in that um, yeah and that 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 the movie itself was a good uh, kind of a starting off or jumping off point of whatever this universe could potentially be yeah, yeah. so. I'm going to switch gears here for a minute because there's something that I think really needs to be addressed. And that is the parenting angle in this movie, because I think that the parenting angle is just as interesting and just as important as Brandon's storyline throughout this film, because you have the movie starts out with these two parents who aren't able to conceive Literally, if you if you really pay attention, literally every book on their bookshelf is about infertility. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, they get this child. And as Elizabeth Banks' character, Tori, continues to say throughout the movie, whenever this child showed up, she just felt so incredibly blessed. And she did not waste this opportunity that she was given to be a mother. And then they're put in a really difficult position 
well, first of all, they're put in a difficult position because the kid starts acting out. He has puberty. He's doing things that aren't great. He hurts a kid at school. He is becoming really troublesome. And then on top of that, you start to suspect him of being a murderous alien. <laughs> yes. As a parent. <laughs> Which he is. <laughs> teenagers are all the same. They're all murderous aliens. They're all murderous aliens. That's right. <laughs> As a parent, I mean, what did you think? Did you think uh, that the parenting aspect as portrayed in the movie was realistic? I mean, did you identify at all with the parents? Uh, okay, so not really. They were horrible parents. All right. Um, and so I think that they were, I think they were horrible parents in multiple ways. The easiest way about it is that they, they knew ahead of time that they found an alien baby. Right. And so at no point in time did they discuss that with him, let him know that that's what it was, or even try to like, you know, kind of brace him and reel him in for the, for, for what that would mean. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, even assuming you live in a world where Superman doesn't exist in your mythos, you know, if I have a baby that's an alien, you know, right around eight or nine or 10 years old, whatever that, I may not, you don't want the kid to feel different, different. But you start wanting to let them know, and especially the second they start doing anything a little bit odd, you want to start talking to them and letting them know, kind of, you know, this is the deal. This is where we found you. You are a little bit different, but you, we still love you. And then we, we want everything to work to, you know, w- let us work together and understand your changes. Mm-hmm. By suppressing it and not telling him anything, then it would create in the, the child the feeling, which, which was manifest in this movie, is any of his changes he felt he needed to keep secret because he felt that they were not going to accept him in his new changed way versus the, you know, the innocent baby boy that they knew from before. Right. Because they did not really discuss with him that things would change at all. You know, except for the, what is it? That jilted scene when, you know, they're, what is it? He's 12 years old and they're, they're, they're in the middle of hunting and the father's going to have the talk with him. Right. You know, and, and the talk is, is really not, it's not about the birds and the bees. So, you know, it's not even, you know, so it's, it's the most useless, the talk ever. Right, you know, and that's and that's the main amount of cross conversation. No, it's okay so if that, you touch it. Exactly, exactly. It's just the, the, that, that's all you've got. Okay, right, you know, and so it's um, so then the the problem there, the juxtaposition to me is that it, it does feed into his motivation the whole time of don't tell my parents, don't tell my parents, and that's why he's killing people, right? Because he is wanting to hold on to their affection and love as their innocent little boy while going through these changes, and because they were such bad and non communicative parents that once he did start going through changes, the last thing he thought in his mind was that he would tell them, mm-hmm. right? Because he didn't think that they would accept them. They didn't think he would help them. They didn't think they'd understand, all of which turned out to be true. Hmm. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. However, that's, uh, well, <laughs> how do you tell a kid he's an alien? <laughs> and, and, and would he have been too young? I mean, could he, I mean... Well, first of all, let's put it this way. How soon do you tell a kid that they're adopted if they don't already know in a regular situation? He knew that. So actually, I guess the one thing I can say is, you know, I have, I have multiple family members who are adopted mm-hmm. and all of them, uh, the ones that I have were told, um, you know, some were adopted at an older age, so they already knew. And then the ones who were adopted at a younger age were told, you know, immediately, right? As soon as they could talk and understand. I mean, obviously you wouldn't, you know, you could tell them when they're a baby, but you know, it's not useful information, but they were all told, you know, all told right away, you know, and, and even in the story, right. He knows he's adopted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He, he does. doesn't. Right. Right. He's told that, right. He's just not told 
that he's an alien or that he's different, right? And he's not told in any manner in the communication of not, I mean, forget, you know, even if you go one level below, hey, you're an alien, you're an alien, right? Forget that, right? The, the fact that their communication with him was that change was bad, right? They're living in a, you know, the, you know they, that, and that is kind of the impression that I think he got was that they accept me as I am. So like, I don't know, I think he was 12 or 13 in the movie, right? So they mm-hmm. accept me as I was. So from his perspective, they accept me as I was when I was 10, but not as I am now that I'm 13, mm-hmm. right? And so he, he, part, a large part of a lot of his motivations was to keep that from them, right? You know, keep that, you know, if you look at all the kills, he's either trying to keep information from his parents or keep threats from separating him from his parents, right? Mm. Well, until he decides to kill his parents and then, that, you know, that, there's that. <laughs> but in both of those cases, if you think about it, he would consider it self-defense. Right. I agree. Yeah. Now, so, okay, so that brings me to this question. What do you think of the way the parents ended up handling it, trying to kill him? Well, I think that the father had the right idea, but he obviously didn't know what he was dealing with. They, they didn't, I, I think that the parents, once they got to that point, right, the mother had the least the wherewithal, you know, it took too long for her to come around. But she had enough information of, oh, there is a way to hurt him, right? And had she come around to that or even told the father, you know, which is another part of why I think they're bad parents, their communication with each other, yeah. right? When he goes, when the, in the early in the movie, when he sleepwalks out to the, uh, sleepwalks out to the barn, she lies, doesn't tell him, mm-hmm. right? With the whole thing of him falling in the ship and getting cut and all that, right? She tells him that he found the ship, but that's it. Doesn't explain the rest of that information, mm-hmm. right? If they had actually communicated with each other better, they probably could have come up with a way together to then stop him. Because as the two of them together against him, even superpowered, you know, there's a fighting chance, right? Because he didn't seem to overtly want to kill them right off, right? You, you know, and so I think there was a, there's a fighting chance there with that. But they didn't take time to even understand what it was they were dealing with, what his powers and abilities were, what his weaknesses were, or anything. So they had no shot because they, you know. Yeah, I think it's just another avenue of how they're bad parents. Right. <laughs> Not to beat a dead horse, but the way he killed the dad was so stinking cool, man. The, <laughs> just, uh, just, just he grabs, like, he's just looking him in the eye and uses his heat vision to just burrow a hole through his yeah. head. I, oh, right. dude, what a visual. Yeah. And then yep. whenever, whenever he kills the mom, you know, he, he stops her hand from coming down and stabbing him with the, the shard of the ship. And then right. what does he do? He grabs her and flies her up into the sky, but through the roof. And it looks yes. like yeah. she basically breaks her face going yes. through the roof. <laughs> right. Brutal. Yes, I, I agree. But they, yeah, so they, you know, they weren't, they weren't such horrible parents that they should have died, but um, no, they were not. No. I agree. All right, yeah. All right. Take the world. So, yeah, so then I guess we should uh, move on to the next topic of it, which is what do you think the filmmakers' goals were in making this film? Well, they were definitely to take a superhero origin story and give it a horror twist. Watching some of the interviews with the director and the producers, that was always their intention to take these two concepts and merge them. And I think that they did it. And I think that they did it well. I mean, I think, I think like you said, you know, 
there are some things that are very on the nose, and I think there are some in both genres, the superhero and the horror genre. Uh, there are things that are very on the nose, but it's an interesting concept, and I think they pulled it off rather well. How about you? Yeah, I think I think I agree with I agree with that that uh, premise because really, there's not much. Th- their their goals are pretty straightforward, right? I, mm-hmm. I I look at it the, the same goals you have, just the reverse order. That they wanted to have a they wanted to make a slasher flick, but they wanted to create basically give Jason a better origin story, <laughs> right? And that's kind of what they did. So, but yeah, and I I think that they did that. Uh, then, and as far as that, they, uh, I think they achieved a pretty good, uh, pretty good slasher flick and it's a very enjoyable, very entertaining, uh, film. Right. So that being said, um, how does this rank with you? Well, um, for me, um, I, you know, on the, my, uh, flick chart page, it was, uh, it was a uh, number 97 uh, on my flick chart movies out of. Oh, 397 movies. So, um, so it's, you know, it's pretty high up there. That seems, seems pretty high. The, 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 you know, the way it says on flick charts, I should rate this in a four star movie. So I think for me though, um, it really was more of a, a, I feel, I feel it more of a three star movie. I think that the, uh, the, the, the entertainment, the acting of it's good, good and well done. It is very entertaining, especially in the second half once he starts killing and I, I, I admit I am just kind of going off my, some of my personal feelings of it that I'm giving them a little bit of a ding on the super, the Superman origin story. Sure. Um, and then instead of, you know, and, and not, not taking that where it can go, I think they've maximized the horror slasher flick side of the movie, but they did not maximize the superhero origin story part. Okay. How about yourself? For me on Flickchart, it wound up at spot number 386 out of 1364, which is a 72%. And according to Flickchart, it says I should rate it three and a half, but I honestly feel like it's a four for me um, <laughs> because, you know, I'm the eternal optimist. Flickchart gets it wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really had a lot of fun with this movie, um, slightly more so the second time around even. And I, uh, like I said, I am really excited by the possibilities that are left open. And so what else can you say? What else? Yes. And you have been a gift. My baby boy. So in the final evaluation, does this film deserve the bad rap that it gets? No. And to, to be honest, the bad rap that it gets isn't like a terrible rap. But right. I think that even the slightly bad rap that it has is a little too critical. I think one of the main problems is that people expect everything to be gold instead of appreciating things that are a little more subtle, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think in uh, breaking with some of the tradition there with uh, tradition of the show, I, I, I think that it... I don't know that it really doesn't deserve the rap that it gets. The rap that it gets, if you really look at it, does seem to be mostly, I mean, there, there are people that are going to hate and those are haters, right? But the rap that it gets is mostly people saying, Hey, this had a great premise, but it was not the movie that I expected. Right. Sure. And I think that that is the, that, and that's kind of where it does deserve it in that it's not, it's not exactly what you expect. It's, it is a very good entertaining movie and definitely worth watching. But I think that the, the criticisms of it saying that, Hey, you had this superhero premise that you didn't do anything with is fair. 
right? When they, you know, if there is a sequel, then you can do something with that part of the premise, right? Mm -hmm. and, that, but that, and that seems to be the problem I think most people have because I've not, you know, in, in all the criticisms, right? The, you know, that the, the slasher flick part of it seems to be very well received, right? It's, it's, it just, yeah. you know, it is, it is pretty well received in that, in that regard. And if anyone's saying that it's a bad slasher flick, well, then I would, then it definitely doesn't deserve that rap. But, but if you're a promise, if you had a problem with the premise, but you still enjoy the rest of the movie, then I think, yes, it does not, um, it, 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 that is kind of accurate. And I don't know that this film, you know, unlike some of the other films we discussed, I don't think this film is as universally hated. Right. This, right. this film was, you know, was generally, you know, kind of got a lukewarm medium reception. And so, um, I, but I understand some of the lukewarm. Sure. I will concede to a little bit of the lukewarmness. Yeah, yes. <laughs> a little bit. Do not concede all the way. Do, I wouldn't want you to compromise yourself that way. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that wraps it up for this episode. I think so. It's been great talking to you about this uh, this movie. And look forward to getting together again, talk about a different movie that does not uh, get the love that it deserves. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, folks, there is no such thing as a guilty pleasure. This has been Silver Linings, part of the next real family of film podcasts on TrueStory.fm. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and that we may have even inspired you to give this movie a second chance. If you'd like to get more involved with The Next Reel community, visit thenextreel.com slash membership. For just a dollar a month, you can become a one-reeler and join our online community in our Discord server. And for a few dollars more a month, become a two-reeler supporter and join us for show live streams as we record, early access to shows in your very own personal podcast feed, and access to the super-secret member channels in Discord. Plus, you can now support with a single annual donation at either level. Thank you to everyone who's joined us and to all who are checking us out. Your support allows us to keep producing and growing the next real family of podcasts here at TrueStory.fm. See you in the next episode. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, 
or the Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Today. 